0: All right, guys, welcome to the show. We have got a lot to talk about today. Um, there's so much going on, it's, it's pretty wild. I would say one of the first things I wanna bring up, and we may end up coming back to it, um, this story with Sam Bankman-Fried, while people are coming and joining on all the platforms, he was found guilty on all charges, okay? So if you're not familiar with the case, he was the FTX founder who was basically committing a massive Ponzi scheme slash fraud uh, with crypto. And the question is, should Democrats have to pay off, pay back all of SBF's stolen donations? I wanted to show everybody something. Um, this right here is a list. Um, it's pretty massive, okay? Um, a list of a bunch of the politicians who took money from him. It's very hard to see because it's such a big list, but I can tell you some of these people like the DSCC, that's the Congressional Committee the Democrats used to elect everybody, Biden Victory Fund, those were the two largest groups that uh, Sam, donated to, and he donated to very few Republicans. He donated a little bit to the NRCC, to Susan Collins, um, Lisa Murkowski, Richard Burr, Um, not very many. I mean, these are all pretty much like your middle-of-the-road a lot of people consider them rhinos type of people but democrats wise i mean he donated to everybody and their mother okay i mean every democrat far-left progressive group uh sam bankman Fried, he was giving money to them and i think it says everything that they have not given this money back already It should not take a guilty plea to get you to do that all of them should have returned this money to help make the ftx users who were defrauded whole again okay and they're never going to be whole that's the truth okay even if they got paid everything back that they lost that time they have had between back then and now where they didn't have access to that money, you'll never be able to fix that. Um, But they're not even gonna get all their money back. And yet these politicians, almost none of them have returned the money, only a few have. And I think that says everything about Washington DC. These are a bunch of self-interested people who have no concern for the actual people in America. Um, a reminder for people who are just tuning in for the first time, we do call-ins on this show. You're able to call in, be a part of the conversation. The phone number to call in is usually scrolling at the bottom of that screen, but it is 615-703-5888. You can call in to have your voice heard on any one of these topics that we talk about. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is Bidenomics, okay? So some Bidenomics news to share with y'all. Here it is. Celebrate the miracle of Bidenomics by working two or three jobs or more. The number of multiple job holders just hit a record high. You can see it here. That is where we're at, right there. Record number of multiple job holders at 8.542 million. Okay, um, and I think that's that's very much an undercount. Um, but this is really the story of the Bidenomics agenda. Okay, because you'll hear Democrats say on one hand, they say, oh, Joe Biden is creating all these jobs. Well, job creation is kind of a complicated deal. If you're creating a lot of very good paying jobs with benefits and somebody only has to work one job, maybe you can support a whole family off that one job, you're doing a fantastic job. That is not what Joe Biden is doing. Joe Biden is doing one of two things. He is creating a bunch of part-time jobs because the economy sucks. People aren't getting paid what, their worth in their opinion you know and I think most people's opinion and they're struggling to get by and businesses on the other side they're struggling to get by so they're trying to work things out in a part-time piecemeal way and on the flip side of that the biggest job creator seems to be the government okay so government is getting much larger under the Democrats which we should all expect to be the case that is who they are um but here's some more economic news business bankruptcies in the U.S. have risen to 30 percent In a 12 month period ending September 30th, 2023, per the US courts. And the number of bankruptcies in the U.S. recorded year over year have increased for 13 straight months. That is Bidenomics. That is the Democrats' economic policies in action, bankruptcies, people having to work multiple jobs, and the government being the largest employer, okay? Bidenomics has created a government jobs boom. Good for Washington, bad for middle America, says Stephen Moore, who has, you know, a lot of experience in this area. Look at that, the nine month net employment change. You've got government leading the way, okay, above everything else. We're just growing government like crazy. And I have a question for anybody sensible. When has the government done a good job at literally anything? Have you been to a DMV? Have you been to any driver services thing? Some states call it something different. Have you been to any social security office? Have you been to any government office? Name me one that does a good job. Have you been to the VA? Have you seen our veterans on the streets? Have you seen viral videos of veterans in tears because they cannot get the care they need? Our government sucks at literally everything they do. Everything. The only thing they seem to be good at is taking our money and spending our money. Those are the two things that our government can do somewhat competently. And I only say competent if you're coming from the vantage point of wasting money being a good thing because they're very good at that. Outside of that, when it comes to actually helping the people, name one thing our government does well. I'll wait. Anybody call in if you've got one. Tell me one thing the government does well. 615 7035 give me one. I don't think we're gonna get any callers because There is not one thing our government does well. But if you look at this chart behind me, you will see the government is expanding to do more in your life, which should scare you. Anytime you hear the government is coming to help or the government's coming to do more in your life, wants more control, wants to be able to service your needs, you should be terrified. Run the other direction, okay? Our government does nothing well the best news you could get is our government is downsizing. That is the best news the American people could hope for. That's the truth about what we're experiencing. And so that's Bidenomics in a nutshell. You know, that's, that's really where we're at. Um, we've got sort of an interesting story I'm gonna jump to, and that's about Eric Adams. I'm just waiting to pull this up here. Um, Eric Adams, Seems like he's in a little bit of trouble here, but I'm going to start with the fact that Eric Adams is part of a group of mayors, okay, from sanctuary cities, Los Angeles, New York City, Chicago, Denver, that are requesting $5 billion instead of 1.4 to help them deal with a migrant crisis because, quote, they say, our city budgets and local taxpayers are bearing the brunt of the crisis. They apparently want taxpayers from around the country to go ahead and foot the bill for this instead of them, despite the fact that these are the same people who had been absolutely raking Texas over the coals for not wanting massive illegal immigration, saying, hey, you guys need to give sanctuary to these people, you need to take them all in, okay? And I love this, okay? Before, we got a call, but before we get to it, I want to show you guys this meme because this is basically what's happened in in practice, okay? Back when the brunt was all on Texas, you had all these sanctuary cities saying, don't be racist, take them in. And now they're handing them over to the sanctuary cities saying, Texas is saying, don't be racist, take them in. And now the sanctuary cities don't want them. Well, surprise, nobody does, okay? Nobody does. And so, you know, th- this really shouldn't be a shocker for people. We did have a phone call they dropped. I think it was somebody who was going to try to give one example of what the government does well, and they couldn't come up with it, so they hung up the phone. Um, that's what you get when you don't screen phone calls. <laughs> but you also get some good stuff, too, okay? So, um, interesting part of this letter, though, so they give this letter to Joe Biden, and they go to meet with people in Washington, D.C. Well, Eric Adams didn't show up. He was on the plane, but didn't show up. Maybe this is why. The FBI raided the home of New York City Mayor Eric Adams fundraising chief, due to which the New York City Mayor canceled a series of meetings in Washington DC on Thursday. Okay, so we canceled these meetings. And there's a little more information now. I didn't think we would have a ton of info, but we do in fact have information on this now. We've got U.S. prosecutors and the FBI conducting a broad public corruption investigation into whether the New York Mayor Eric Adams 2021 election campaign conspired with the Turkish government to receive illegal foreign donations. Okay, so conspiring with the Turkish government, this has shades of the story with the New Jersey Senator Menendez, who's also a Democrat, who is being charged right now over a scheme where he was being bribed by the Egyptian government, okay? We're talking about people with major national implications in terms of political corruption, okay? All Democrats. Meanwhile, they're investigating President Trump over and over and over again. Okay, so... These are the people, really, who are screaming the loudest about corruption. Meanwhile, they're taking money from foreign governments. So yesterday, Adams was on his way to a meeting with the White House. When he canceled the meeting midway, And flew back to New York when he learned that his top fundraiser had her home raided by the FBI. Investigators sought to learn more about the potential involvement of a Brooklyn construction company with ties to Turkey as well as a small university in Washington, D.C. that also has ties to Turkey and to Adams. Investigators also sought evidence to support potential charges that included the theft of federal funds and conspiracy to steal federal funds. Wire fraud and wire fraud conspiracy as well as campaign contributions by foreign nationals and conspiracy to make such contributions. The agent seized three iPhones and two laptops along with papers and other evidence, including something agents identified as Manila folder labeled Eric Adams, seven contribution card binders and other materials. In July, six people were charged in an alleged scheme to divert tens of thousands of dollars in public money to New York City Mayor Eric Adams' 2021 campaign months before his election. Political corruption like this from the Democrats should be absolutely no surprise. This is the mode of operation for these people. So I wish I could tell you like, oh, I'm outraged. I'm not outraged. I mean, I used to be outraged. Now I'm used to it, sadly. This is what these people do. They're as corrupt as they come. They will take money from anywhere, including foreign countries. I mean, there was this massive scheme in the 2020 election where micropayments could be made through Act Blue from foreign countries as long as they were using gift cards. As far as I know, this was never investigated, okay? And that could have added up to a limitless amount of money. But the truth is the Democrats are not hiding from political corruption. They're not pretending dark money is bad in any way. Do you remember when they used to try to do that? They used to try to pretend dark money is bad. That's not who these people are anymore. In fact, you know we've got uh, a couple stories here. We're going to pull up because we're going to we're going to dive right into the political corruption here. So, um, and this goes pretty far because this also connects to the case in Colorado where they're trying to remove Trump from the ballot, which we're going to talk about here. Um, but the political corruption here is 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 so deep. Okay, so we're going to start with the liberal dark money network that has donated 10 million to anti-Israel causes. And don't worry, this connects back, okay? So um, one of the largest left-wing dark money networks that has funneled more than 10 million to anti-Israel causes over the past five years It's this group called Arabella Advisors, okay? They contribute to a bunch of progressive nonprofits. The reason I bring this up, this is a big story right now because they're helping fund these protests that are really supportive of Hamas, okay? Um, You've even got these fake Jewish groups that they're funding, okay? Where these groups stand with Ilhan and they're posting stuff like this. I'm sorry, but I don't buy that these are Jewish people behind this when they're supporting, you know, really like the Hamas caucus. You know, I, I just, I'm not buying it. I have trouble buying that. Okay, um, I think most people do, especially when the money is coming from this dark network, where really there's, there's no, there's no explanation as to where the money's coming from. Okay, so this dark money group is bankrolling that. They're also dropping millions to push the abortion amendment in Ohio, but. The truth is Democrats have made their peace with dark money. Over the past half decade, Democrats have quietly pulled ahead of Republicans in untraceable political spending. One group helped make that happen. Um, And that's the group we just talked about. Okay, So these articles about Arabella advisors are you know really really deep there you can find them um, search arabella advisors there's a bunch of deep dives on them but it's basically pro- pro- progressivism masked as philanthropy for a lot of billionaires so even bill and Mel- melinda gates foundation um, they're the single largest donor to arabella groups that has been identified because again, a lot of these dark money groups, you don't have to identify donors, but some self-identify. And Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has uh, given close to 500 million. They're at 456 million since 2008, including 127 million in 2020 alone. The Ford Foundation gave 25 million in 2020. The William and Flora Hewlett Foundation from Hewlett Packard they moved $12 million to the Arabella Empire in 2020, a $1 million grant went to the Trusted Election Fund, which was documented and created uh, by big philanthropy to help Democrats oust President Trump and silence criticism of the 2020 election's gaping integrity issues. Similarly, they've traced 950000 from the David and Lucille Packard Foundation, the philanthropy of Hewlett Packard's other co-founder. In keeping with retail brands, the Kellogg, the Kellogg Foundation of serial fame gave $2.5 million to Arabella's groups last year, while the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, named after the son of a Johnson & Johnson co-founder, donated another $8 million. This list goes on and on, okay? There are countless wealthy people who are funneling money into these groups. So how do they work exactly? I think what would be useful is to show you guys sort of a, a breakdown of how these groups give out their money. So I've got a a graph here you can see behind me. Um, if we pull up camera three to show them, this gives you an idea where Arabella Advisors is at the top, then they've got these other four groups underneath them. These four groups then give to countless groups under them and the groups under them also keep, this keeps going, okay? So if you channel these through enough groups, it becomes very difficult to trace the money where it's coming from. And as these mainstream articles, you know, admit that I pulled up, the Democrats have now pulled ahead in dark money. So they are leading in dark money. Again, The Atlantic, which is owned by Steve Jobs' ex-wife. Okay, this is a very far left publication. They admit that the Democrats are the dark money party. And this brings a thought to me I've thought about for a long time. We have major campaign finance issues in America. I think that's undeniable at this point. Um, the incentives are all wrong. We're incentivizing the worst possible people to run for office. And it's why a lot of good people don't run. And as a byproduct of this, you know, we get what we have right now. And I think, why isn't the Republican Party pushing harder for an end to dark money? I know Citizens United, all that stuff, but this is the time you realize the Democrats are killing you with dark money. Why would you ever want this? Okay, we believe in federalism and all these different things. Why don't we try a concept where we bring power back to the states, okay? I always had a problem with the fact that like, say a Georgia Congress race, okay, for, for House of Representatives, having massive money infused from california or new york i don't think that's right i think we could fix this system to ensure that the voters in those places have the greatest voice and contribution and that their contributions drive it i also think contribution limits in terms of spending okay so say there was a limit in every house race of $250,000, you would totally change the game of how house races work. And it would go back to the people, you know, knock on doors, let the greatest door knockers win, who reach out to actual vote voters and communicate with actual voters. Right now the game plan is, hey, we've got a couple million bucks, let's slam TV ads all over the place, send out a million mailers and that, plain name recognition is going to get somebody elected okay just hope and pray no super bad stories come up okay that's basically the plan and then they look at okay how republican is a district how democrat is a district oh it's an r plus three okay so as long as you get all that stuff you know you're you're killing it with ads on tv mailers all that stuff your candidate doesn't go to any events they don't debate and as long as there's no terrible story they win the election okay we're incentivizing the wrong stuff. People need to get back to debating, to actually working to get the votes in their community and campaign finance issues are the big, issue they're the elephant in the room and that goes back to the story we talked about at the beginning of the show sam bankman fried because when you create a system where sam bankman fried can gain power over the entirety of congress or at least the democratic side and a couple of republicans by maxing out donations to each you have a problem okay because those people were elected to represent their states or their districts, not to represent Sam Bankman Freed, unless he is a resident of the state they represent or the district they represent, okay? Which last time I checked, he was living in the Bahamas, okay? Um, Well, now he's living in the big house, but back then he, he was living in the Bahamas, okay, before we went to jail. So, you know, I think that needs to be a major call for our party is, you know, really, Pushing for some accountability. Um, We're going to be talking about George Soros quite a bit later here. Um, But I wanted to mention as we're on this topic, George Soros was funding these pro-Hamas insurrectionists on Capitol Hill with Rashida Tlaib. Um, You know, so it's 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 interesting. He's involved once again. And if you look at this, so this event, which resulted in multiple arrests for assaulting police officers, was organized by two Soros backed, nominally, quote, Jewish nonprofits the radical Jewish Voice for Peace, who we talked about earlier, that stands with Ilhan Omar, the Hamas caucus, and far left agitator, If Not Now. Okay, some of their tweets. Um, the Jewish Voice for Peace is celebrating each one of the deaths in the First Infantata. So you can see that here in this tweet of theirs. It says, today's the 33rd anniversary of the First Infantata, a series of mass protests against Israeli, quote, settler colonialism and occupation. So they're celebrating this stuff, okay? Um, This group being funded by Soros. And again, they even sell tote bags of Ilhan Omar. I'm sorry, but that does not sound like a Jewish group to me. And so that's the beginning of our Soros um, story today because we're gonna dive deeper. In fact, you know what? We're gonna go right into the Soros issue. And if you wanna talk about this issue, okay, we're gonna watch a video in a second. If you wanna discuss this with me, it's gonna be a pretty deep topic here that we get into. Get this phone number, call in right now, just wait on the hold, we'll bring you in, okay? We'll bring in everybody um, who calls, as long as we have time, 615. 703-5888 okay we're going to discuss this issue of what is happening so i warned america about george soros you can see this is one of many articles that i wrote this one was in new york post warning people about george soros and his da's and their plan to destroy america through these big cities well there's a new plan and a new warning you need to know about Um, to understand it we're going to watch this video, but the plan, in short, is to fill the federal judiciary with people who have the same ideology as these Soros DAs. Watch this video. It is long, OK, but it is worthwhile. Watch this and get that number down. 615 to discuss this after. Kennedy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um,
1: I just feel. Like I need to ask this question. Mr. Fonzon, you, when you advised the companies referenced Huawei and others, you were at Sidley? Yes, that's right, sir.
0: And? and I'm sorry. That is the incorrect video. Um, <laughs> this is a video you guys need to see anyways, but I want to pause it real quick while we play it. We'll play the other video in a moment. So we're going to watch this one first, OK? Kennedy.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I just feel like I need to ask this question, Mr. Fonzone. you when you advised the companies referenced Huawei and others, you were at Sidley. Yes. Sir. And and. The video cut
0: out.
1: When a client comes to Sidley, you have to fill out a form that says, you know, here's my client name, here's my mailing address for, for business purposes, and here are my political beliefs. Is that the way it works? There's definitely a client intake process. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember all the particulars of it. I mean, big law kind of, it's yeah. kind of like who can pay the freight, right? That's an aspect of the, okay. of the intake process, I'm sure. I understand. Uh, Professor, I'm looking at a letter dated March 16, 2020. It's a letter to government, Governor Lamont in Connecticut. The title of it is Urgent Action Needed to Protect Individuals in Connecticut's Prisons and Jails from Coronavirus 19 Pandemic. Did you sign that letter?
2: So I don't recall sitting here today, Senator.
1: Here's, here's your signature. Your is back here. Why didn't you turn this over to us uh, when you were asked to submit documents?
2: So, Senator, I made every effort to search for everything that I had ever signed. That's not a letter I re- remember, um, but I will certainly take a look at that. And well, we,
1: we found it we just, with a search on the Internet.
2: So I apologize, Senator. That it, I am apologize.
1: In your letter that. to the governor, you, here's what you said. As they stand, prisons and jails are detrimental to public health and human rights and disproportionately harm marginalized communities, including black, brown, indigenous, and other communities of color, immigrants, people with mental illness, people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQ community, people who use drugs, people engaged in sex work, and street economies, and people experiencing houselessness and poverty. So if you believe that about our prisons, how are you going to ever send somebody to prison?
2: So, Senator, um, I will need to take a look at that letter, and I apologize that that's not something I found to, to, um, uh, you know, to hand to this committee. You're not I denying can- you said that. Um, I do need to see the letter to see the context because, again, it's not something I remember adding my name to. Yeah. Um, I can assure you, S- right. Senator.
1: And uh, you also say, first, you, you call on Gover- Governor uh, Lamont to um, to to release everybody in jail. Is that right? Because of the coronavirus.
2: So again, Senator, I would need to see that letter in front of me. It certainly
1: was not. You can find it with a, just put your name in, in into Google. You'll find it in about na- three nanoseconds.
2: I will, Senator. I can assure you that I,
1: I. you said, you said in your letter, Professor, we call on government, Governor Lamont, State of Connecticut, and all Connecticut jurisdictions to immediate release to the back to the maximum extent possible, people incarcerated pre-trial and post-conviction. And then you go on to say, talking once again about our jails, the global COVID-19 pandemic is throwing into sharp relief the untenable state of our penal system and the need for sustained action to shrink it, shrink its scale, shrink its size, and shrink its scope. You, You sound here like the district attorney in San Francisco. If you believe that, how are you going to ever send us anybody to jail, Professor?
2: I can assure you, Senator, that I understand the role of the judge, and that I can assure you, prison time is an appropriate sentence in many cases. That's not what you say here
1: to the governor. You wrote the governor. This isn't some DoorDash delivery guy. You wrote the governor of your state three years ago. So again, Senator.
2: So again, Senator, I would need to look at the letter. It sounds like it was written um, at the height of the pandemic where governors were looking for...
1: You also wrote the governor, you said people over the age of 55 are at the greatest risk for COVID-19, but also pose the least public safety risk to our communities. People in this age group can and should be released immediately to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. You think the governor just, if you're over age of 55, he should let everybody go?
2: Uh, No, Senator. That's not a position. That's what you said.
1: Okay. Here it it is,
2: biggest house. Again, Senator, I I will look at that letter. I can assure
1: you that... Find it on Google, Professor. Um, You also say Governor Lamont should issue an executive order to direct the state's attorney, attorney offices and law enforcement entities, including the town and city police departments and any federal law enforcement entity operating within the state to immediately cease adding to the incarcerated prison population given the high risk of infection posed by the population increase. You asked the governors to tell every every law enforcement official in the state to stop arresting people and putting them in jail, didn't
2: you? So again, Senator, I have to look at that letter. I, um, I, I do think think there were modifications that the governors were making around the country to respond okay. to the you also pandemic. You
1: had an opinion in your letter about... Can I have another 30 seconds? Mr. You had an opinion in your letter about, about immigration. You said, Immigra- immigration detention poses the same health risks to jails and prisons, and Connecticut law enforcement must stop feeding people into the unsafe and inhumane immigration detention system. Then you say Governor Lamont should release all individuals currently in state custody who are waiting to transfer to ICE custody, and the governor should declare a moratorium on all on all such future transfers. How, if somebody is in our country illegally and commits a crime, are you going to put them in jail if you believe this about immigration,
2: Senator? I can assure you, were I so fortunate to be confirmed, I would
1: treat crimes seriously this letter says professor and it was three years ago wasn't when you were in law school and you didn't turn it over to us we had to find it on
0: so i want you guys to think about this okay i know that was a long video but there's a couple very important points number one these marxists always lied did you guys see how she ducked every single question didn't matter how many times he asked it it was, oh, I don't know, I'd have to see the letter. You sign the letter. You sent it to the governor of your state. You don't remember this? She remembers, okay? This is the oldest trick in the book for Marxists. They just pretend it didn't happen, okay? And when they fail, their policies fail inevitably. They always do. They pretend that didn't happen too. Or they'll say, oh, that wasn't real communism. That wasn't real socialism. It failed because of some other thing, okay? This is what they do. She concealed this letter on purpose, hoping nobody would find it, but Senator Kennedy, who I love, his team found it. And it's very clear, she's asking, just to reiterate, she asked the governor of her state to release every prisoner, to direct the police to not arrest and put anybody in jail, to stop all deportations, do not communicate with ICE, and allow illegal criminals to roam on the streets of their state because of COVID. An angry, an angry cold, basically, okay? Let's let all the criminals, rapists, pedophiles out of prison over a cold or a flu, okay? We'll say an aggressive one. Does that make sense to anybody no this is the same ideology as the soros da's okay and what you just watched is a judiciary hearing to become a federal judge nominated by the biden administration the democratic party all of these people in cahoots to get people into the federal judiciary as judges with massive power who have the same ideology as soros da's and i can guarantee you right now that soros's money is behind this that him and his son have directed people within the democratic party including joe biden to ensure the people with this ideology end up as federal judges we are no longer talking about a simple hey there's there's these you know tax differences between democrats and republicans we are talking about putting actual marxists in power as federal judges okay i want everybody to understand that an ideology that has killed more people than anything these people at their core in their heart they are communists I hope everybody understands that. And if you have somebody in your life says, oh, they're not communist, they don't say they're communists. Castro didn't say he was a communist either, okay? Castro admitted he was a communist after he had consolidated power. Why would you do it before when people know what communism is? Before he had consolidated power, Castro would say things like, he's a humanist, he's for everybody, he's for social justice. Yes, he used that term. He's for social justice, okay? Who's for social justice now? These people, okay? Who wanna release all of the criminals from prison. That's who the Democratic Party wants to put into power. You can't stress that enough to people, okay? Show that video to any Democrat that you know, okay? it'll be it'll be available after the show's done today it'll be up everywhere go ahead and grab that video show it to any democrat you know and ask them to explain why joe biden and the democrats would nominate somebody to be a federal judge who does not believe people should be in prison and who wanted to release all the criminals over an aggressive cold ask I would love to hear their answers. I would love to. In fact, if you record the conversation, I'd be happy to play it next week on the show, okay? But I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this because I warned people years before the Soros DAs became a big story. The Republican Party nationally did nothing about it, okay? In this case, I also believe that nationally, the Republican Party is going to do nothing about this. Okay? Because we have the wrong people in leadership. That's the truth. And that's something we have to fix. We have to own as a party, as the voters, as the base. We have to fix that if we want real change. Okay? Because there's no excuse for not doing whatever we can to stop these things. Okay? Um, you know, I just, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things where if you have a conscience, you've got to do everything, it's a moral imperative to do everything to stop these people, okay? And the National Party has shown us no evidence that they're willing to act in a significant way to stop this insanity. I want to uh, jump real quick now to this Colorado story, okay? Okay. The trial has begun over whether Trump should be kept off the 2024 ballot in Colorado. The lawsuit alleges that Trump violated his oath of office in efforts to overturn the 2020 election, J6, blah, 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 okay? Um, A state court in Denver began hearing arguments Monday in a lawsuit seeking to bar former President Donald J. Trump from Colorado's 2024 ballot. Um, I just have to stop here. Aren't these the people who claim to care about democracy? They're always like, democracy this, democracy that. We need to save democracy. Republicans are a threat to democracy. MAGA extremists, threat to democracy. They can't stop saying democracy. Last time I checked, democracy involves allowing people to vote for who they want to vote for. But these people want to literally remove Trump from the ballot. They argue that Trump should be prohibited from running in future elections, citing Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution which states no person can hold office who is engaged in insurrection or rebellion after having sworn under oath to support and defend the Constitution. The suit alleges Trump violated his oath of office in efforts to overturn the 2020 election leading up to the J6 attacks in the Capitol. Okay. Scott Gessler, a lawyer for Trump, decried the lawsuit as anti-democratic and characterized Monday's hearing as politicized In opening arguments. He insisted that Trump used the words peace several times in his speech, which is true. Trump did do that. Trump did use the words peace multiple times, okay? um eric swalwell testified if we want to talk about the types of people testifying to get trump off the ballot isn't that another guy who says he cares about democracy but he's working to get somebody removed from the ballot that at least close to the half the country wants to vote for but they want to remove that choice from the american people make that make sense for me okay and um you know a couple things you should know about this case because In my heart of hearts, I believe Trump will be removed from the Colorado ballot, and I don't think it's going to be the last state he's removed from. And here's why. okay? these are the types of people testifying. Eric Swalwell. This is a D.C. cop who testified today in Colorado to get Trump booted off the ballot. He's one of the four J6 celebrity cops helping promote the narrative, and he referred to Trump supporters as terrorists during his July 2021 J6 committee hearing. Here's a tweet from him, I did get vaccinated, I'm not a moron, and that's him. So I don't think we're looking at unbiased individuals, okay? I really don't, I don't think we're looking at, I don't, honestly, I don't think we're looking at mentally okay individuals. I mean, this looks like a disturbed person, if you look at this image. That doesn't look like a healthy person to me at least, that looks like a disturbed individual. that's just me though. Now here's here's the interesting thing, okay? The other reason why I believe Trump will be removed from the Colorado ballot is because the judge overseeing the case, okay, in this case, she gave a political contribution to a group that likened the J6 attack to an insurrection. Okay? So she literally gave money to a political action group who was working to boot the people out of Congress who had supported Trump on January 6th. Who had gone and made any sort of, you know, hubbub about the election. That's what this group was going after. And specifically after people who had supported Trump on January 6th. That's what the judge had done. She had donated to the Colorado Turnout Project, a political action committee formed to vote out Republicans who supported Trump on J6. The FEC data's there, all that stuff's there. And my question is, you know, I remember back in the day, corrupt judges, if it was out in the open and it was like publicly undeniable and all of this was there and it was a big story, you would have to recuse. That's no longer the case because they've gotten these judges in office. Again, this is a recent judge. So we just got done talking about the Soros judges. This is a recent person to be put on the bench there. Okay, in this leadership position. Now has the power to remove President Trump from the state's ballot. Doesn't matter how you feel about President Trump. You could hate him, you could love him, think he's the best, think he's the worst. Doesn't matter. You should think people have the right to vote for him. You should think that it really is communist to take him off the ballot. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's a communist tactic. At least over 40% of the American people wanna vote for him, probably 50, okay? That being the case, we all know what's going on here. The polling is bad for Joe Biden, so they've gotta do this. They've got to work against the American people to do this. And I think it's important that everybody understands that. Before we jump to Ukraine, which is an important topic, um, for people who are new listening in, you can call in on any one of these topics, 615-7035-888, and we'll talk. But I just want to give a shout out to the Texas Rangers, Okay, A few symbolic things to point out. If you look at this image behind me, it is sort of symbolic of the fact that they were playing a team whose mascot is a snake, a serpent, okay? They slayed the snake, as you can see here. Diamondbacks have been slayed, okay? And not only that, but the Rangers are the single team, okay? The one team in all of Major League Baseball who does not have a Pride Knight. The one team. And they won in the same season that the Los Angeles Dodgers, who started the season as the favorite to win the World Series, honored a drag group who mocks Jesus, okay? And they won the World Series on the night that two of their players, including their youngest star, Evan Carter, wore shirts saying Jesus won okay i would call that some poetic justice i think that that's pretty incredible you know i mean you could at least say god has a sense of humor so congrats to the texas rangers not my team but this season i have adopted them because if they're the only team willing to stand up for something then they're the only team worth rooting for because major league baseball disgusted me and everybody I know this season, with their actions around honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence who do nothing but mock Jesus and Christianity, okay? Um, Next story I wanna jump to is Ukraine. David Sachs wrote a fantastic thread I think everybody needs to hear, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read his thread. The Ukraine war's Cronkite moment. Zelensky's own inner circle tells Time Magazine that the war is unwinnable. Read that again. The war is unwinnable. That's Zelensky's inside circle, telling Time magazine this, who previously did a puff piece on it. If you haven't read it yet, this week's Time magazine cover story on Zelensky is extraordinary. It covers almost everything that critics of the war have been saying, starting with the fact that it is unwinnable for Ukraine. Moreover, it goes further in describing Zelensky as, quote, delusional for his failure to recognize battlefield realities and his unwillingness to consider peace negotiations with Russia. Most remarkably, the sources for the article are Zelensky's own aides and advisors. In other words, what they will call, quote, Putin talking points are coming from inside the house. The author, Simon Schuster, previously wrote the article naming Zelensky Times Person of the Year for 2022, so it cannot be said that the person has not portrayed Zelensky favorably in the past. Presumably, this is why he was granted such privileged access to Zelensky's inner circle. Ostentatiously, the article portrays Zelensky as a heroic figure forced to go at it alone as times get tough and Western allies start to abandon him but the truth leaks out as Zelensky's aides pour forth a torrent of complaints and inconvenient truths. These include number one, Ukraine's war aims are unrealistic. Kiev has long maintained that its definition of victory, namely the retaking of all Ukrainian territory, including Crimea, is achievable with Western arms and money. After a disastrous summer counteroffensive, Zelensky's advisors, Have reconsidered. Yet, Zelensky's belief in ultimate victory over Russia has only hardened into a form that worries some of his advisors. Schuster describes Zelensky's faith as, quote, immovable, verging on the Messianic. One of Zelensky's closest aides tells Schuster that, quote, he is delusional, we're out of options, we're not winning, but try telling him that. Number two, Staggering casualties have decimated the Ukrainian army. Ukraine has refused to disclose casualty counts throughout the war, the war, dismissing as Russian propaganda the increasingly credible reports of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian casualties. But another close aide to Zelensky tells Schuster that casualties are so horrific that, quote, even if the US and its allies come through with all the weapons they have pledged, we don't have the men to use them. Schuster reports that, quote, in some branches of the military, the shortage of personnel has become even more dire than the deficit in arms and ammunition. According to the article, the average age of a currently serving Ukrainian soldier is 43 and getting older all the time. The youth have already been sacrificed. Number three, morale is collapsing. Within the officer ranks, there is growing dissension bordering on mutiny. One close Zelensky aide complained to Schuster that some frontline commanders have begun refusing orders to advance, even when they come directly from the office of the president. In many cases, orders are refused because they are deemed impossible. Number four, corruption is uncontrollable. It has long been taboo in Western media to suggest that Ukraine's government is shot through with corruption. Yet a top presidential advisor admitted as much to Schuster once his audio recorder had been shut off. Quote, people are stealing like there is no tomorrow. So now the truth is starting to be let out. After Walter Cronkite returned from his fact-finding mission to Vietnam in 1968, he concluded that the war was unwinnable. He ended his famous broadcast to the American people with this exhortation. It is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. Now that the truth is clear and undeniable, will we take Cronkite's advice with regards to this war? Will we seek to negotiate an honorable peace and save the Ukrainian people from further needless slaughter? Or will we remain trapped in Zelensky's bunker of delusion, psychologically, if not physically, waiting for the inevitable end? I thought that this was a fantastic thread that summarizes quite well the time story. The one thing I will say is, you know, um, I don't think enough people understand just how in cahoots major journalists are sometimes with the government and allowing a certain narrative to start to get out. I would say it's very possible this narrative and um, the truth about the corruption being allowed to start to come out through a mainstream reporter who previously wrote the story about Zelensky being man of the year or whatever uh, for Time Magazine. Sounds to me like the government understands the Ukraine paycheck is about to go away. It's going to be replaced with money for war in Israel. And that to be able to cleanly get out of that and give explanations to Democrat voters, who have made the Ukraine war their entire personality at this point, Um, they seem to do that with whatever the current thing is. You know, they stick the flags in their bio and all that. They need an explanation to them, so they're gonna start leaking out the truth about the war, which is that it was always unwinnable, okay? Everybody knew that from the beginning who really was looking at this rationally. And beyond that, you know, um, a lot of people got called a lot of names and even, you know, treated like they were you know, Putin apologists, when in reality they just didn't want young Ukrainian men and women to die. Okay, that was it. For for me, that was it. And I think with David Sachs, the same thing. They didn't want young Ukrainian people to die. And beyond that, didn't want us to needlessly spend ridiculous amounts of money in a country that we don't belong in, okay? Um, I think that this is sort of a a microcosm though of how our government works with the media to use a narrative to sort of shift society in a certain direction. So I think that time is coming. Government recognizes Ukraine needs to sort of go away certain point soon. It's gonna be replaced with this issue in Israel. And um, I think we as the American people need to be very careful ever being cheerleaders for war. Okay? The only time we should cheerlead a war, and even then cheerlead is probably the worst word for it, but the only time we should ever be in a position where we are rooting for somebody to go and decimate another army is when it's like a case of just absolute pure evil and it threatens our homeland and our way of life and our children and our families. Okay? Um, In that case, I get it. But in these cases, you know, when you're talking about very complicated, nuanced wars that have to do with, you know, in both cases, with Ukraine and Russia, really um, situations that are about land and borders and things like that, this is, in many cases, not something where we should really be spending our money, okay? We should be spending our money at our border, which is wide open right now, not in Ukraine. Not on their border which we have literally spent money on ukraine's border while we literally have the biden administration cutting holes in our border fence okay i just want you everybody to remember that that that's what's going on here while biden helps secure the ukrainian border he is simultaneously cutting holes in our border fence which we covered yesterday or day before yesterday um i want to talk about this too here's another member of the media okay um This fellow at the Daily Beast, he wrote this tweet up. um, I guess you call it a post now on X. Um, Mike Johnson, who's the new speaker of the house, does not have any retirement savings. He does not own a single stock. He does not have any assets at all. In fact, he has less than $5,000 in his bank account. He's got a $250,000 to $500,000 mortgage. He has a home equity loan and he has a personal loan. So Matt Fuller of the Daily Beast asks, what is his retirement plan to lobby? What's really none of Matt's business, honestly. Um, You know, I never see the media going after politicians who are getting rich off of being politicians. I mean, you see these people there for decades and decades and decades. That's all they ever do. They don't have a company, they don't have business, they never run a business, never dealt with any of that and building something and making it successful. I never see them go after them when they retire worth over $100 million. I never see that happen, okay? They rarely ever go after these people in their pot of gold, okay? I wonder why that is. Instead, they're going after a guy who basically is in the economic position most Americans are. Most Americans are in that position where they don't have a retirement savings, they don't own stock, they don't have a ton of assets, they have less than 5,000 in their bank account, a $100,000 or I'm sorry, a $1,000 expense is a big deal to them. They've got a mortgage they have to pay. They live paycheck by paycheck. You know, um, in his situation, his wife works for a nonprofit and you know, they've got a lot of kids. They've got a lot of mouths to feed, probably send them to private school for security reasons. And all of that together, on his congressional salary leaves them very little money. And keep in mind, he has to pay for a place in DC and a place back home in Louisiana, okay? So yeah, on his salary, probably leaves him with very little money. But here's the thing, we should want a Congress filled with people who are not raking in millions, okay? Having some people there who are very successful at business is great. But to truly be the people's house, I do think we need to have some people in there who know what it's like for normal people to struggle on a budget, to work paycheck to paycheck, but who are making it by thriving with happy kids, okay? Because parents make a lot of sacrifices for their kids. They do a lot of great things, and to pretend that there's some sort of threat to our country, you know, because they don't have a retirement plan is crazy. They've given up a retirement plan to give their kids the best life they can give them. And I think that's honorable and it's very telling that the media is attacking that instead of attacking the people who are profiting millions hand over fist corruptly insider trading while members of Congress, because there's a lot of them follow unusual whales. If you haven't seen the list, okay, they're very compelling. Get into those lists on the unusual whales account and uh, you'll get the names the stocks they're trading, what, what committees they're on. And they're using information from those committees to trade stocks in advance before you or I can find out about it. And then they profit. Media doesn't really go after them. They don't touch them, but they'll go after this Mike Johnson living like pretty much most of America lives. Okay. Um, I have no problem with it. I think that Mike Johnson, you know, that's the way that he is living life, and it's the way most people are living life in America. Um, I did want to bring this to everybody's attention. James Fishback, okay, um, he runs a, um, I believe they're non, I believe they're a nonprofit. I know they're nonpartisan um, debate incubate club group slash you know deal for kids. Um, check out his account if you have kids or grandkids interested in debate because he's got the links on his uh, X page. You can see it there, I'm gonna zoom in on it. It's at J underscore Fishback. He wrote this brilliant deal to describe what's going on in debate in America, and it's wild. I didn't know it had gone this far. I knew it was kind of crazy, but I didn't know it was this kooky. Um, This was the final round, what I'm about to show you, of the most prestigious national high school debate tournament in America team a proceeds to tell team b that they quote will not be debating the assigned topic the benefits and costs of the imf the international monetary fund because trans people quote are being genocided by MAGA republicans and that is way more important than debating the imf team a starts off by playing an audio clip from a 1980s aids protest saying the 28 states want to kill trans people like her They tell the judges that this round, quote, does nothing to the IMF itself. And as such, they have decided that, quote, this round is going to be a debate about debate and that the judge's choice instead is whether to affirm our performance or not. They proudly declare that they will, quote, occupy the debate space until trans debaters can participate safely. I'm sorry, but I would like I'm going to stop there real quick give me an example of a trans debater not being safe did somebody hit them like what is going on in these debates because i've never seen a news story about i've never seen any example of anybody not being safe the safety is up here that they're describing and you're never going to be safe up here if you are mentally unwell up here so if you mentally are incapable of understanding what sex you are simply by looking at your body and you were confused about that, you are going to feel unwell a lot of times, pretty much all the time, okay? So in those other areas and arenas of life, like debate, you are going to feel unsafe because you are unwell up here. Until you're well here, you will not feel safe in those other ways. And the only way you're going to feel safe here and be well here is if you get help. And the help is not hormones, it is not surgeries, It is actual talk therapy, which has been by far the most successful thing for kids struggling with gender dysphoria. But I continue. Team B then proceeded to immediately concede the round because they don't want to dispute that trans genocide is quote real and they didn't want to be labeled transphobic. The rest of the round is a struggle session where Team A states that misgendering is, quote, violent and that if you do it, you should automatically lose. Again, this is the final round of the most prestigious high school debate tournament in America, okay? The worst part, the judges praised Team A for their bravery and courage and crowned them national champions, okay? Now we're going to... uh, get a a segment of this debate up which is unbelievable okay I'm not going to play the full thing because it's 13 minutes but I'm going to play you part of it okay now get ready for this because it is nuts
3: thousands of demonstrators demand that New York City do more to help those suffering from AIDS Resistance took the form of non-cooperation. Demonstrators had to be dragged to paddy wagons, many shouting as they were carried away. Do you think you really accomplished a great deal? Yes, I think we do. What else can we do? I've done everything. I've called everybody. I've got appointments with everybody. I've got to come to City Hall and state my case. We're dying. The city is dying.
4: I don't know that man's name, but I know a little of the hopelessness and the horrible sinking fear in his voice. Here's how I prepped for the TOC. I woke up a week before and learned that 28 instead of 27 states wanted to kill me. The clip I played is from the 1987 ACTA protest in New York City. It was not the first, and certainly not the last demonstration of its kind. It joins a tradition of trans and queer protest against institutions and to re- reform communities that are violent and exclusive. We are here to join this tradition in our own small way. So. Welcome to the protest. We are tired of how debate treats trans people. More than that, we are tired of the way that their treatment is normalized, how it is treated as a necessary byproduct of having good discourse. When a nationally ranked team is bold enough to read arguments and make trans people uncomfortable in front of an 11-person panel and not be called out for it, something needs to change. When a trans kid can go three years in debate believing being misgendered was simply something he needed to take in order to win ballots, something needs to change. When almost every trans person quits debate or considers quitting several times a month, several times a week, several times a day, something needs to change. First, the framework. Status quo political discourse remains fixated on the notion of the child, symbol of a future so- society we must protect. Baden 12. Politicians universally frame their debaters around the question of what policies are best for children? Who keep who keeps the child safest? Politics, however, supposedly radical, is simply the universal movement of submission to the ideal of the future, to preserve, maintain, and upgrade the structure of the society and to proliferate them through for all the sake of the children. It is for this reason queerness finds itself missing from political discourse. Sound familiar? It should. Still having abstract policy debates in as violent and exclusionary a community as this constitutes something like reproductive futurism. They're obsessed with the continuation of a society for future generations while ignoring violence that happens every day in spaces like this one. See, trans people know that scenario planning is planning for a future they don't have. They're too busy surviving to participate in that game. Baden 12, reproductive futurism, which demands that all social relationships be structured in order to allow for a possibility of the future, ensures it's the sacrifice of all vital energy for the pure abstraction of the idealized continuation of society. Queerness must figure as being against the future itself. In the name of the future, any repression can be justified. This round is going to be a debate about debate. The button you're clicking does nothing to the IMF itself. Your choice instead is whether to affirm our performance. The role of the ballot is to vote for the team that constructs the best strategy for trans liberation in debate. Essentially, you are deciding, will you join the protest? Vincent, 13, debate isn't of itself a performance. We must evaluate what a debater's performance does and justifies. Those with privilege in debate are never forced to have their performance attached to them. Their arguments are viewed as words on paper. Alt- our alternative is to occupy the debate space until trans debaters can participate safely. Movements are only effective if they create material incentives for those in power to change by denying the community business as normal. TOC, final is the mo- TOC finals is the most important debate in the country. This round will be viewed by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Your affirmation here is the ultimate disruption of the debate space on 19 to open institutions up that have functioned as containers you have to throw the usage into crisis. Protest requires becoming an inconvenience to make violence the we you have to create a scene to stop business as usual impossible to pass by occupation is a political product you counter the violence of a system by revealing the violence of a system we have tried politeness we have tried blog posts and infographics and endless discussions but the only way the debate community will change is if we hold their most sacred currency for ransom balance we will occupy the debate space and deny business as usual until there is change show trans debaters trans kids everywhere that they belong show them that they deserve to be here in toc finals and in finals at every other tournament Show them what this space can be.
5: So I think in light of this, um, Marcus and I have decided to concede the round against Dalton. I think that their message that they've read throughout the entire tournament has been incredibly impactful. And by debating it, I don't think we want to undermine the message that they're trying to get across or try to tear down an argument just the sake of picking up a ballot. But rather, I think what's more important is to hold a conversation to discuss their messages and their experiences as well. So in light of everything, we think it's the most important thing in the round is to make sure people have a voice in the first place to get across their message. And there's no greater place to do that than TOC finals. I just want to say thank you to my parents who like encouraged me to start debate in the first place and financing such an expensive event.
4: Is there anyone else who either has ideas or wants to ask questions?
5: You don't have to be trans. It's important to recognize that debate is not about winning an argument. It's about making sure everyone feels okay and making sure everyone feels safe. So when that's hindered upon. I think that's when debate becomes essentially useless in the first place. So it was really, really eye opening to see those passionate RFDs given by the judges to see that debate really doesn't matter about the IMF, like who cares? Like what matters is like those people who need to be safe within the route itself.
4: If you're a cis debater and you're like partners with a trans debater, part of like your role in an app, like as being an ally, as being a partner of a trans debater is not just to like, you know, pat us on the back when we're like sad or upset. It's to like take concrete steps to make a debate round safer.
5: Okay,
0: I'm sorry, I have to pause that. I want to deposit like a hundred times these people are nuts okay at the very beginning this kid says uh, 28 states want to kill her okay ludicrous okay ludicrous what what they're referring to is states like our state of Tennessee where we helped get passed a law that bans children from getting sex changes hormone treatments puberty blockers basically we stop these medical institutions from being barbarians and destroying the bodies of children, okay? Here's the thing. If you're so sure you're in the wrong gender, why do you need the hormones, okay? If, if you say, you know, they, they use this phrase, trans women are women. Well, if you're a woman, a guy who thinks they're a girl, if you are a woman, then why do you need hormones? What do you need those for as a child? Okay, there's not a good answer for that, because the truth is, it kind of tells everything. You are not a woman, you are a confused young man who needs help. And the adults in your life are doing a disservice to you. You deserve love and help, okay? This, though, is one of the greatest embarrassments I've ever ever seen in academia, debate, any of this stuff. Absolute lunacy. Lunacy. And that the judges reacted by making these people national champions for protesting during the final debate. And their little tantrum is about feeling unsafe in debate as, quote, trans people. You're on Zoom behind a computer screen. Who is going to hurt you? (laughs) Okay? Nobody has physical access to hurt you while you're behind that computer screen. Words are not violence. Comments in the comment section are not violence. They are somebody's words, somebody's thoughts, somebody's opinion. They may offend you, that's okay. Offense does not cause violence, okay? The way you react to those words is not violence. In fact, if those words make you want to hurt yourself, get help that is that is not on the other person even though i probably disagree with people you know who are saying something really ferociously and make somebody feel that way shouldn't do that shouldn't push somebody to that however if you're feeling some kind of way that is dangerous after somebody says something to you because you're offended to a degree where you might hurt yourself get help you need help not to be made national champion in a debate competition for the most prestigious debate event in high schools, okay? And then for the other team to give up. These males showed a lack of masculinity, the masculine quality to compete, to be the best, to also try to protect others. There was nothing about what they did that protected the other team the other girls involved in this debate what they did was they showed cowardice they showed that if a generation of people like them end up being the men in power we are in for a world of hurt okay i'll let you watch the 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 rest of your video here on your own time if you want to watch it but um i want to bring up you know one quick thing so they've got this uh this video that just got released by President Trump that I thought was really interesting. He's got an idea to fix these colleges. You know, there's there's all these colleges that have gone insane. Actually, really, I agree with this idea. I think it's an interesting idea, um, and it's basically to create an online university that is free. Will offset all of these issues with, um, you know, student loans and people going into debt and all that. But it's about practical things you can really get jobs for including trade school so all of it would be done online and it would be funded by seizing um you know endowments at some of these woke schools by suing them over the ways they violated the law so watch this video i think it's interesting
6: recent weeks americans have been horrified to see students and faculty at harvard and other once respected universities expressing support for the savages and jihadists who attacked israel we spend more money on higher education than any other country and yet they're turning our students into communists and terrorists and sympathizers of many many different dimensions we can't let this happen it's time to offer something dramatically different under the plan i'm announcing today we will take the billions and billions of dollars that we will collect by taxing, fining, and suing excessively large private university endowments. And we will then use that money to endow a new institution called the American Academy. Its mission will be to make a truly world-class education available to every American, free of charge, and do it without adding a single dime to the federal debt. This institution will gather an entire universe of the highest quality educational content covering the full spectrum of human knowledge and skills and make that material available to every American citizen online for free. Whether you want lectures or ancient histories or an introduction to financial accounting or training in a skilled trade, the goal will be to deliver it and get it done properly. Using study groups, mentors, industry partnerships, and the latest breakthrough in computing, this will be a truly top-tier education option for the people. It will be strictly non-political, and there will be no wokeness or jihadism allowed. None of that's going to be allowed. Most importantly, the American Academy will compete directly with the existing and very costly four-year university system by granting students degree credentials that the U.S. government and all federal contractors will henceforth recognize. The Academy will award the full and complete equivalent of a bachelor's degree. In addition to help the 40 million Americans who have some college education but no degree, the American Academy will grant credit for past coursework at legacy institutions and give you the chance to complete your education at the American Academy for free and much more quickly than is now possible or available. This will be a revolution in higher education and will provide life-changing opportunities for tens of millions of our citizens. Enjoy it. Learn from it.
0: So I think this is a really good idea. I think, um, you know, we've got some major problems on the education side when it comes to young people with them identifying as Democrats, largely because of stuff with student loans and and universities. We want to fight the woke universities anyways, which means we don't want these kids to end up with these woke professors who are communists. Um, And I think this is actually a very interesting way to go about it. The creation of a large scale online university that is not woke, that is going to, you know, match bachelor's credits, um, you know, basically give you the equivalent of a bachelor's degree, um, match credits with local schools and and other universities. I think it's very smart. I think this is going to be um, really net positive if they get it off the ground. And I think that, you know, if you really look at the cause and effect here, of doing something like that it's sort of it's sort of like on a micro scale like school choice it will do so much good just to get these kids away from wokeness by itself culturally that has immense value um i want to talk about something else which is why robert kennedy jr rfk jr why i would never vote for him so let's go ahead and watch this video real quick
3: how is a broke federal government going to invest this much money to build a national grid? Well, you know, the, the grid itself is not going to cost that much. The grid itself it will probably cost about $250 billion to build a smart grid. Re-
0: Just stopping it there for one second. $250 billion is not that much money, according to him.
3: Okay. ...which is most of America, and that, you know, that can do the things that we need to do, like I can send signals through the line, allow the utilities to send a signal through the line to turn off the hot water boilers in a million homes for 15 minutes in order to avoid the peak demand that is the most expensive part of our electrical system. If you eliminate a peak, you save enough natural gas in our country to power the entire US uh, passenger car fleet. So, and we can do that just by using the grid smartly. A, I, a grid that send a signal to, t- to turn off all the electric toothbrush rechargers. You know, uh, to t- t- turn off your swimming pool recirculators and all of these things. You don't care if somebody cl- turns them off for 15 minutes and you sign something. It can go into your car and borrow the, uh, the stored electricity in your car, in your battery, whether you got a plug-in a hybrid or a, a...
0: I'm sorry, guys. The show is ending now. We were just notified that the government is turning off the show for today to save electricity. That is what would happen if you went and you deployed the plan that RFK was advocating for, where the government would have full control to turn off individual items in your house to save energy. This is why I could never vote for RFK. He's already tried to walk this back now, saying he's changed his mind about it now, just like he changed his mind about the Second Amendment, he changed his mind about abortion, changed his mind about all these things. He's just flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. I'm sorry. I hope that the change is genuine. I have always agreed with RFK on medical freedom when it comes to vaccines, okay? And I think he's done great work fighting big pharma. I agree with him on clean water for everyone. On all these other issues though, I do not trust that RFK had this massive change of heart. I hope he did. I genuinely hope the change is real, that it's legit, that he really believes in all of these new things, but here's the thing: I have to ask myself, am I willing to gamble our country on it? Am I willing to gamble my vote away, voting for somebody who just a few years ago was a far left individual that admitted to believing all these things? And you know what? The Republican Party, um, as a whole, and voters, we do have something. We do have something we got to talk about. There's almost this disease among us where if a Democrat or a Hollywood celebrity suddenly says they're on our side, everybody flocks to them and is like, oh, yay, see, they're with us. I'm glad some people are changing their minds, okay? I'm glad some people are seeing the light. But let's pump the brakes for like two seconds, okay? We can have a welcoming party. We can, we can say we're glad to see you take these conservative positions. We, we can be very happy for that but we cannot make them president of the United States. We cannot make them a United States Senator. We cannot make them a U.S. Congressperson. okay? You're gonna need to prove yourself. You're gonna need to prove that you really had these changes. So far, to me, RFK has only proven that he's serious on the medical freedom for vaccines issues and on, you know, fighting big pharma, which are big deals, okay? Those are big deals, and I don't want to disparage his work on that in any way because I'm of the mind, President Trump, should be naming rfk to head the cdc okay i think he should i think that he would do incredible work there i think that we need a real fighter against big pharma in important positions and in places to ensure that covid can never happen again okay that all of that disaster we all experience never happens again i think he should be put in a very serious position in the government to be able to fight big pharma okay I do not think, and maybe he can prove himself there. Maybe in the future one day he runs as a Republican. Maybe, okay? But he's going to need to prove he seriously changed his mind on all these issues. You can't be a Democrat one day and then say you changed your mind on all these things when you get some Twitter heat, okay? And that's what RFK has done on a whole host of issues. I'm going to actually invite him on the show um, next month, so... If we have him on, I'm gonna give him totally fair hearing. You know, I will, I will ask him the hard questions. I'll also be talking to him about the things he's done that I think are really great on, on Fighting Big Pharma and everything else. But we are gonna ask the hard questions as well um, if he agrees to come on. Because I do think people need to, to have, you know, I need, I need an answer. Why should I believe this change of heart? And I'm gonna be perfectly honest, I don't think there's anything he can say that will make me believe he's conservative in any way on any of these other issues that he's flip-flopped on. I think he's good on the big pharma issue and that's about it. Um, All these other issues, very clearly his first impulse was something that is very authoritarian, left-wing in nature. I don't think that changes at his age, okay? Um, That's just my life experience. You know, my my, uh, bisabuelo, my great-grandpa used to always tell me, you know, um, you're not gonna change the spots on a leopard, okay? It's not gonna happen, you're not gonna change them. So, you know, once somebody's older and they've got those spots dug in, like, you're kind of wasting your time. And that doesn't mean on a specific issue you might not be able to quibble here and there. I mean, I get it, but at a certain point, especially if you were a political person, to have a full-scale, diametric flip in your beliefs is kind of hard to believe. Um, that's just the way I see it. I think it is very hard to believe that is the case. Um, last thing that I wanted to cover for today, because we're running out of time, I don't think we're going to take callers because we're running out of time. I want to play this video for y'all, okay? Trans,
2: trans, trans, women,
0: women. trans, do 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 trans women are yes, women. I I support
2: support trans, trans women,
1: trans women are women. I I trans women are women. Trans women are women. Can trans women have I an abortion? trans women can
0: because they're women no they can't okay quote trans women as you call them do not have a uterus they do not have a vagina they cannot have a baby they can't get pregnant with a baby they cannot abort a baby what are they aborting are they aborting a burrito Like, I would like to know what are they aborting exactly because they don't have a uterus, don't have female reproductive parts, they were born with male reproductive parts because they are a man, they have male chromosomes, not female chromosomes, what are they aborting? Because it's certainly not a baby. These people have lost their minds, absolutely lost their minds. Um, Let me see if I have something to play us out with. Actually, I do have something to play us out with and a question to ask you, okay? So, there's a mayor election in Bridgeport, okay? I believe it's Bridgeport, Connecticut. Court overturns the Ganim win. that's the name of the guy, in Bridgeport primary for mayor, calling the evidence of fraud shocking, okay? They overturned this election based entirely, pretty much, on, on this video that I'm about to show you. This is a county employee, who was stuffing ballots. All right, so I think you can see the video behind me. You're not gonna hear anything because there's no sound, so I will be narrating it. This lady, she's, uh, she's going, stay on the video, I'm gonna turn around here, she's, she's going, you see her? She's coming to the ballot box now. And the stuffing begins, okay? So I have a question for y'all, okay? If an election can be overturned based on this video, then what happened in 2020? Because there were a lot of videos like this, a lot. If this is shocking evidence of fraud, then what is what we saw in 2020? because I certainly remember a lot of videos that look just like that of people stuffing ballots. That's my question for y'all to ponder. We're signing off for the day. We will see y'all later next week on Monday.